Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking and film theory. In each programme we'll focus on a particular movie, we're going to review it, talk about it and discuss some of the ideas and themes it throws up. As always we'll end with our recommendations for films to watch following this week's film and the links can be thematic or director based or to do with the actors or pretty much as tenuous as we like to be honest. Before all that, who are we and why should you care about what we say? So, my colleague on this podcast is Dr. Sam Knowles. He is a university lecturer, a college lecturer, who writes and teaches about books and movies and comics and films and all manner of pop culture through a academic eye. I am Rob Maythorn. I have no doctor status, but I have spent the last 10 years working in the British film industry. I have since retired to Cornwall to take pictures of cosplayers. Right, but not Cornwall because you're in Shropshire. Did I say Cornwall? I meant Shropshire. Yeah, you did. My parents are in Cornwall. I'm in Shropshire. <laughs> Similar places. Yeah. Entirely out of the way. <laughs> yes. yes. Right, so this week, um, Rob, it's your turn. It was my turn, and, and I picked the 2010 film, The Social Network. I need to do something substantial in order to get the attention of the clubs. Why? Because they're exclusive and fun, and they lead to a better life. People want to go on the internet and check out their friends, so why not build a website that offers that friends, pictures, profiles? I'm talking about taking the entire social experience of college and putting it online. The site got 2,200 hits within two hours. 1,000. 22,000. Social Network ostensibly is the story of Facebook and how it was founded but really it's the story of some friends and power plays and political machinations and all of that kind of business corporate personal sort of thing that surrounded the founding of Facebook you've got Jesse Eisenberg playing Mark Zuckerberg the uh, the main founder and inventor of Facebook you've got Andrew Garfield as Eduardo Saverin, who is his best friend and co-founder. And you see the birth of these guys from living in a dorm room at Harvard all the way through to the mildly infamous court cases that surrounded um, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook down the line. It tells the story of the Winklevoss twins, who he was sued by, and it tells the story of when he was sued by Eduardo, his best friend. I know there's a spoiler to give that away, given the film yeah. kind of reveals that pretty early. And it's a true story within a given value of true. It's directed by David Fincher, it's written by Aaron Sorkin, and it's based on the book by Ben Mesrich uh, called The Accidental Billionaires. And that's probably as much as you can say without giving it away. It's a very David Fincher film. And it's a very Aaron Sorkin film. There's great support, I think, from Rooney Mara as opposed to the girl that got away. Mm-hmm. Um, and great support, certainly, from... I can't remember his name now. Uh, but one actor who plays... Armin Hammer. Armin Hammer, who plays both of the Winkle, Winklevoss twins. I think he does some great support. I looked this up, actually. He only plays one of them. L- like you, I thought he played Cameron and Tyler. But apparently he only played Cameron. Well, this is the thing. This is where it gets into my world of digital trickery. He played both parts. 
in the when they needed both parts to be played. So they had an actor who played the body mostly of Cameron. I Cameron? see. And then no, they would, Ty- he he was Cameron. He played the body of Tyler, and then they using um, a three D rig basically they can map his face onto the other actor's face. So it was played essentially a mixture of traditional split screen. So you film him in one place, film him in another place. Mm -hmm. Uh, Compositing where you kind of copy him on top and then this very high technically way of face mapping it. So when you get a panning shot of both of them, um, you get a... a, um, sort of a match you will notice from a technical point of view that occasionally and probably more often than not the other actor is wearing some sort of hat or is wearing sunglasses yes. or some sort of bandana and that's very much to help that process along because it's easy to map a face on when you've got a hard edge to it without mm. having to deal with hair and receding hair and all that kind of stuff so mm. you can often tell that the other brother is wearing some sort of bandana or hat often to help with that process. Yeah, right. It is, I mean, from my point of view, technically, I mean, it's technically outstanding. I mean, it's it's probably the best example of that thing done that I've ever seen. But then I think Fincher is very good at that kind of stuff. Sam, have you seen it before? And what do you think? I have, I have seen it before. And I, until this moment, I did not know that. So that, that is the sort of thing that's fascinating. Um, not that most things you say are, are fair enough, pointless, fair enough. But, um, <laughs> but that was really interesting um, yes I have seen it before and I, I like it with some reservations um, okay. my, my first note on this was it, verging on the flippant did this film need to be made um, I suppose it, it feels very public domain-y and all the um it just seemed fairly obvious and um, it seemed it seemed a story that didn't need to be told because everyone knew it already that was the thing and and I don't know whether this this may be a testament to Jesse Eisenberg that you just think well this this isn't really a character this is just actually this this feels like a documentary about Mark Zuckerberg mm. the way he the way he plays it but then it went it went on from that and I do I do think I do like um lots of lots of the performances are very good. I I thought I thought Rooney Mara, if anything, was a bit too good for the role that was written for her. I can see that. Um, she she stood out as as a brilliant actor and the the role felt a bit lightweight and the character was just a bit of a cipher. Um, and she she appears at the, at the end, um, and and you can see that. Well, I think maybe maybe the the writers won't be trying to suggest that um, a yearning for the one that got away is something that that drives Zuckerberg. Um, I don't think personally. I don't think they did that um, successfully, entirely successfully. But yes. I'm not not sure. I'm not sure how how much to reveal about the end of it, but I suppose it's it's easier with something like this when when it's a it's a ostensibly a true story anyway. I mean, I, I think I think I'm happy to issue a, a sort of podcast wide. We will spoil films occasionally on this podcast. 
yes, yeah. Um, well, the the final scene has has Eisenberg as as Zuckerberg, friend requesting his his old flame, um, and you think that made the rice are moving towards the idea that Zuckerberg did all this, all these machinations, as you suggest, with his with his friends and his colleagues in order to um, drive at something that was missing in his life. And um, Erica really Mara is a, is a symbol of this, is something that he was missing, that he's yearning for. I, I wasn't sure about that. Um, I thought that was a rather sort of hackneyed attempt to sort of, sort of, after you just had a character say, you're trying to be an arsehole, but but you're not. Or I can't. I can't remember how. Um, how yeah, the other way around. But yes. Freezing. Yeah. Yes. You. You. You're not an asshole. But you're trying hard to be. It was. It felt that this was. This was the writers sort of trying to hammer home the point in quite a hackneyed way, and I wasn't sure that entirely worked. That that device with the with the friending at the end. I think um, just on that note, before we dove into a larger review, I I took that to be more about. It wasn't about her, and she was merely a the token of the unachievable. That mm. it felt to me the portrayal of Zuckerberg, or the story they're trying to tell here, was that Zuckerberg was this overachiever who got into Harvard, who then discovered that that wasn't enough. Mm. Getting into Harvard, he had, had to go beyond that and be in a finals club. And yeah. it was all about him achieving and getting that goal. And that's why I think when he lost friends, it didn't matter as much because he'd already got them in the first place. Whereas Rooney Marker and Eric Albright just represented what he couldn't get. But he, you know, he, mm. he, he says infamously in one little speech, he's like, you know what, I could buy the Pacellian Club and turn it into my snooker room. Yeah, so and he's that's got... not what it's about. It's not yeah. what it's about, and he's got all the money, he's got all the fame, he's got all the reputation, and the one thing he can't get is people who like him. Hmm. Yes, I I wonder just just going on that, and it's it's not something I'll come back to as a as a recommendation because well, this is quite early on in the podcast, and also it's not technically a film, but I notice in the credits that um, Kevin Spacey has an executive producer credit. And this did feel very like the beginnings of House of Cards. Same director. Um, with this, it was the same director. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Dave Finch, I, I, I don't know if he's directed all of them, but he's heavily involved, certainly, in House of Cards. Right. It did feel very much like that. Hmm. Um, this this central character who's achieved a lot and yet wants more and doesn't quite know how he's going to get it. He just knows he's going to take it. From my just for, for a quick review, because I mean, obviously, I really like this film. Um, I think mm. that aside from the content, the text of the film, it is one of the best examples of modern filmmaking. I think that there are certain scenes in this, notably the early hacking scene when he hacks into mm. Harvard, Harvard Facebooks before the Facebook, is as perfect a section of film editing as I've ever seen. The music. Say what you mean co- by that. As in. The that scene when he starts hacking, he gets home from being dumped by Erica. He starts drinking, he starts blogging, and he basically goes through hacking. And this is yeah. the, 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 vo- the voiceover is him discussing how he's hacking. It's Perl scripts, it's PHP, it's like the hardcore techiness. But it's perfectly balanced with him and two drunken mates um, hacking. 
intercut with the scenes of these finals clubs where he wants to be and you can notice the physicality of the actors playing the final clubs are very different to the physicality of the actors playing the hackers mm. the music uh, by um, Trent Reznor and the editing it just it builds and you get so it's it's almost like an action scene in many ways mm. and you're you're swept along in this scene of that you get the, the the heartbeat cutting and the music builds you up and you feel like this kind of this release at the end of it and it's one of those films like oh, I'm 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 a deep advocate of terrible films and one of those is a film called Hackers from the 90s which is terrible and very rarely does hacking or the kind of computer side of life get portrayed on film well and excitingly mm. and I think yeah, this so scene yeah the scene nailed but you care about the fact what you, what you can, can and can't hack and you care about you get the process end to end very quickly and you get the emotional beat of it and you get why in a short section why it's so popular what he's done and what some of the ramifications of it are going to be and um, all of that's conveyed all... basically short without, without much dialogue mm. also you get I suppose you get the film peaking because after that, it it's. I, I suppose I I kind of wanted more of a film. I I didn't know it was from that scene. You you, it's is you're right to pick up on it, but and I hadn't, hadn't noticed that before. But I I suppose I felt I wanted more from this, of the nuts and bolts of what he did, mm. um, and it felt that after that hacking scene or. Um, after the you know the, the scene where he he gathers interns, and he has has them doing shots around the table, it felt like those two were were sort of after that the film went downhill and it was just sort of sort of like oh he's he's doing doing a bit of hacking or doing a bit of coding and mm. now we'll have we'll have a court case and I just felt the the interesting bits were were sort of weighted towards the beginning. Because you're right, that that is a primary driver behind why he does it. Yeah, I think that I think you're right. I think that sort of visually, like, that scene still stands out. I've seen this film five or six times now, um, and it still stands out in my mind as one of the best examples of how to edit in a feature film. Mm. And I think that they kind of, to for them as filmmakers, that that scene served the purpose of setting him up as talented and arrogant, mm. and a bit of a screw yes. up. That's not the story they're trying to tell. They're trying to tell the story of how he can't deal with people, rather than how he can deal with computers. And it's some, but it's something that gets it, it loops back to right at the end, which is you get how he can't deal with people, but you also get him thinking, "Oh, how I messed up was saying something. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't just being being offensive in, in a frat boy way. It was." being properly offensive about farm animals. And he has this moment where he thinks, mm, I shouldn't have done that. Right at the end of the film, there's a line and, and he says, he says to, to the, um, the advocate, he says, yeah, I shouldn't have brought that up. Um, so it's an interesting idea that that scene, not only is that important in the film as a whole, but it's important to, to the character of Zuckerberg because it comes back, revisits him. I think that that kind of ties into the central idea I want to talk about this week in relation to 
social network. And that's the idea of truth, which I'm well aware is a huge topic to try and cover in a 15-minute podcast. But so much of this film is based on someone's version of the truth. Ostensibly, almost all the film takes place in deposition hearings. And everything you see, apart from the, the hearings themselves, are flashbacks. The, the, opening, the opening scene in which him and Erica break up which you think of as, as 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 part of the narrative is then revealed to be the stenographer reading back that instance yeah. and so much of the stuff happens and a lot of I mean the whole drive behind the court case is he said she said whose mm. version of the truth yeah. is true and this I think plays into a large narrative of this film in that obviously this is based on a true story but given that Zuckerberg's been with his partner for well before Facebook was started and still with her now, it's to a given value of true. And there are yeah. large parts, of it, and, yeah. and both Mark Zuckerberg and Ed Wellesley have gone on record to say this film isn't true, yeah. which as a film that portrays itself as true, I think is something interesting to talk about. I will, will normally write a, a line or two when I think of something because of the film. I wrote very nearly a whole page about this um the the recounting of the scene between Mark and Erica in the bar, because and that's that was sort of sort of became clear ten minutes into the film what you were saying about this, um, whose truth is valid whether it was a, a narrative or not, um so so very early on in the film like you said you've got a sequence that has I've, this may have taken me a page to write out because I don't really have the vocabulary for it but. It's a sequence that occurs in the film and yet is also commented on the film. Mm. So, whereas normally you've got part of the finished product that is viewed by the, um, the, the viewer of the film, in this case you've got something that is actually sort of metafilmically part of the experience for the characters in the film. Yeah. If you see oh, what exactly I mean. mean yep. So, so this, this scene is, is setting something up um, sort of undercutting expectations of truth right at the beginning. I, I I would agree. I think there are several points in that film when, when you cut back to the depositions, and the first question after a flashback scene is, "Is that true? Or mm. is that the case? Or do you do you recall that? Or I don't recall it that way." And almost every everything we we see as part of the narrative isn't. It's just someone's version of that narrative. And the film, yes. unlike other films that handle this, things like One Night at McCool's and often very commonly X-Files episodes, we don't see both sides of that story. So we don't see Mark Zuckerberg's version of that scene and the Winklevoss's version of that scene. We just see one version of that scene. And we're left to pick that out. And I think that... I think sometimes we see everyone but Mark Zuckerberg's view of the of the scenes... I, mean, I, I don't want to speak definitively. Mm. I can't remember it that in depth, but it feels to me like a lot of the scenes come from his point of view. They don't come from yeah. they come from everyone else around his point of view. Yeah, it, I, I was thinking of that scene in which um, the, 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 there are lots of those. Um, so this happened, and then this happened from all these other people's points of view. And Sai, the the lawyer prosecuting him, um, turns to him and says. So there's this and this and this and what do you have to say? And he doesn't respond. And so I says, don't you think I deserve your attention? Mm. 
And Zuckerberg's response to that is very telling because it shows you that it, part, part of this idea of, of not getting Zuckerberg's side of things is a response on the part of the film mm. that's saying to the readers, well, I don't think you should be given all the parts of this joke, so I think it should be up to you to do some work putting them together. And that's exactly what Zuckerberg says to Lloyd. He says, you don't deserve my attention. I'm not concentrating on you. I'm thinking about something yeah. else. I've got bigger fish to fry than this. And, and yes, exactly. Yeah, I've I've got a a billion dollar business that's that needs to be run right yeah. now. So you are not important to me. I think there's it's, it's, there's also this get into the, so the weird metatextual element of most films. Of in this, we're clearly told, clearly told very early on that these stories aren't real. This isn't the narrative of the film. This is someone's recollection within the film. It's a film within a film. But as an mm. audience, we still buy into it being true. And we, we are, we're terrible for this as an audience, I say. Terrible or easy. But we always buy a film as true. Obviously, in a fictional film, you want that. You want the film, the audience to buy into the film. But infamously, Fargo, by the Coen brothers, says at the start, based mm. on a true story. It is not based on a true story. There is no true story. It's entirely made up. But yeah. they yeah. they uh, put it in there because, as they said, everything else is made up. Why, why shouldn't that be? And there's this weird kind of yeah. contract we have with an audience as a film in that if it says based on a true story, we expect that to be true. Even though we know that films on a whole are lies. They are all stories. But there are some things like based on a true story and in a situation like this where it is infinitely based on a real person and a real incident or partly real incident we have an expectation of, of truth from that film which is misplaced mm. I have to say although this podcast is teaching me to, to re-watch films in a different light I, I am terrible for that I will get so sucked into a film um, and then it's only if I watch it again or I watch it from your perspective or I think about it and, and come back to it later on. It's only then that I think, oh, actually, I should have thought about a different layer to this. I should have thought about the actual the actuality of, of the truth here. And, and I'm, I'm so... I just have this real propensity to just think, oh, yeah, it's, well, of course it's true. I'm going to buy into this. I... I... Um, so I suppose at times I am the perfect punter for that. I, I, I would I would agree. I always say it, it's much easier to critique a bad film because you're yeah. you're out from it. You, you're you're step removed from it. And I've over the through my education had some training in studying film and critiquing film. But even then, a good like genuinely, I I had to even with social network, I had to stop. You know, you're not watching this as a good film. You're watching this to try and talk about the podcast. And yes, we want to watch films we enjoy. Yeah, we want to enjoy watching them. But prepping for this was a very different experience than prepping for just watching a film and enjoying a film. Um, but yeah. if it's a bad film, like Sexy Beast last week, I didn't enjoy it a lot. I didn't buy into it. It was much easier for me to talk about that film afterwards because I hadn't been yeah. hadn't bought into it. Yeah. One one thing I I did want to bring up actually is is the way that you'll get echoes e- even in the. There's something, something you mentioned much earlier, the physicality of characters, mm. and you will get echoes. I was just thinking of the way that you see 
Zuckerberg running a lot, and you see um, what's his name, Devendra, is it the the Winklevoss's yeah. friend? You see him running at one point when he discovers something. Mm. Um, so you've got these these parallel movements, and you, you get you seem seem to get that a lot, sort of echoing in the way the way people the way people move and the way different stories fit together. Yeah, and I think that there's a. I think the director uses physicality a lot, and it's strange that I'm looking at. I really noticed, especially in the scene when Eduardo confronts Mark about the uh, the, the sort of c- commercial and corporate ambush he, he receives, that the physicality of Mark he just gets smaller and smaller and smaller over the film. If, if you look at the very last scene we talked about with him, I think it's Rashida Jones from Parks and Rec. Um, he is slumped and hunched over the little chair in a big room she's standing over him almost the entire scene and as this film goes on he just gets smaller and smaller and smaller as a person and mm. you do very much feel that somehow he's like it's that kind of it's the it's the lonely king you know he he's obviously king of everything he, he surveys but he's never seemed more lonely than he's sitting in a clinically cold uh, um, minimalist office looking at one laptop you know he starts mm. in a warm Harvard environment and ends alone and cold and that's matched in the script because right at the beginning you have well, the first words of the film are a monologue from Mark mm. and then the very end you have Rashida Jones telling Mark what he is Yes. so you have her dictating to him so you've had this you, his his speech has been condensed in the way that, like you said, his form has been condensed and the light has been condensed and ev- everything has mm. shrunk for Mark by the end of the room. And I think it's notable that you know that, that you, the start, the very first scene is in a rammed pub. You know, it's at, it's at mm. and the early scenes are him in lecture rooms or in his his dorm room, and it's very very busy and it just it just gets emptier as the film goes on. Mm. Um, it gets emptier and emptier and emptier, and at the the final scene, the final flashback scene, is when uh, Sean Parker gets done for um, drugs and possibly underage sex, possibly. Um, and the shot is literally of Mark in the office as the cleaners are turning the lights off, and he yes, just gets. And you have, I, I I know you hate Christopher Nolan films, but there was the there's that exact same switching the lights off in sectors that you get in the Dark Knight films. Mm. That sort of closing down, the very visual closing down that Christopher Nolan will do. I mean, you have the same thing with the, with the cleaners leaving the building, leaving Mark alone. And it, and it throws back to, I mean, a, a very different sort of film, but sort of Conan the Barbarian. And even something like um, Pitch Black, Pitch, Pitch Dark, when your, your hero, or whoever sees another hero, becomes king... He's bored, you know. The, 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 he he mm. very much get the feeling that Mark Zuckerberg exists as this kind of like rebellious, fighting the system kind of character, at least in his own mind. That he's this undeserved, unsung hero, and when he becomes the deserved, completely sung about hero, how do you deal with that? How do you move on? And yeah, he he want he wants those cars that say "I'm CEO, bitch." Mm. But once he has them, he thinks, "Well, okay, that's I've, I've got that now. Exactly. What, where do I go from here? And it, I don't want, actually want the reality." I think that explains his clear sort of puppy love obsession with Sean Parker in the film, 
that Sean Parker is this permanent outsider. He is the original rebel in in that kind of technological scene. And there's that obsession mm. with him. Um, and you, you get the moment when you you realise, in that scene where they turn the lights off, that he realises that Sean Parker is just as empty and as needy as anybody else. Mm. And then you have, after that, or just before, it's it's around the, the time of that flashback, you have Rashid Jones saying to um, Jesse Eisenberg, what happened to Sean, Mark? What what happened to Sean after this episode? And there's there's a very telling silence mm. because you know that that Mark has cut Sean out. Yes. Um, so I think it's, it's I think the film does a lot of clever things with its framing and its sizing. I think that I think some people won't like it because it does deal with political things and it deals with generally unpleasant characters every step of the way. But I think from a yeah, filmmaking think, point of view, it's I think great. that yeah. I think that's why people won't like it, is just because people are generally unpleasant. So Sam, as always, some further reading based on this week's film. Yes, well, neither of my films, well, indeed I I mentioned House of Cards earlier and that wasn't much to do with this. Um, Neither of my films are particularly to do with this at all, subject-wise. Or even even actors-wise. The, the first one um, is just because Jesse Eisenberg is so good as Mark Zuckerberg. Um, then I, and I said right at the beginning how maybe it was a testament to how good he was, how 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 I felt this film maybe didn't need to be made. Mm. Um, but I would compare um, another actor who is brilliant at playing real people and he's done so many, many times. Um, the film I would suggest is The Damned United um, with Martin Sheen mm-hmm. as Brian Clough, which was um, what is fairly fairly famous story of, of Brian Clough's 44 Days at Leeds United, um, was turned into a book, which is a... I, I, I hate people who... I hate it when people say, oh, you, I know you don't like sport, but you will love this. Or... Like if you don't like sport, you're not gonna like a film about the sport. How, however, psychologically driven mm-hmm. it is. Um, so, if for a for a sports fan, the book of the of the true story and then the film of that book uh, are both both very good. I'm not sure they're they're your thing if you don't like sport. But they are. Um, from my my perspective, I love that and I love how different the film is from the book. I and mean, the the book is is one of my favourite books and the film is one of my favourite films and they are entirely different. Those two are true for entirely different reasons. Cool. Um, my second one is the first time, I believe, we have mentioned on this podcast the film which indirectly gave the podcast its name. Um, it is the film Prestige, which is, I believe, the only Christopher Nolan film that um, Rob will countenance. That's not um, entirely. Oh no, you you're all right. <laughs> you you were all right with Inception, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. Okay. It's well, mainly the Batman's um, not a fan of. Pre- <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> um, the Prestige had the same ideas about a dispute, and it becomes not really about the issues involved, but about what certain people are prepared to do for the sake of certain causes, and what they're prepared to do to other people in their lives 
I think I'll leave, leave it as that because it's a film you really need to go and see yes. if you haven't. Well, I've I've gone the opposite direction. My films are very linked and weirdly interlinked themselves in the lead actor in both of them is Michael Douglas, which was entirely unintentional until I kind of pulled them both up on IMDb and I thought, how strange. So my yeah. first one is from the same director as Social Network, uh, who is probably my favourite director of all time, Dave Fincher. And this is his 1997 film, The Game, starring Michael Douglas and Sean Penn. Uh, Michael Douglas is a wealthy sort of business finance person who is given a gift by his brother of The Game, which is a strange mix of real-world events that you're never entirely sure what's fake, what's real, who's on what side, is it a game, or has he discovered a conspiracy? And it's very... Nothing you see you can take for granted as being true. It's... Certainly from my experience of Dave Fincher, it's my first films that got me into him, and it's kind of the birth of his films that are obsessed with truth and what truth is and what is true. Um, From here he's gone on to do things Mm -hmm. like Zodiac, which deals with the uh, Zodiac killers in America. I just think this is... Zodiac, which which I loved actually, although it's it's a film, it's it's a particularly depressing film. Very much so, um, and and doesn't really have a resolution of any sort. But I I love the yeah. film Zodiac. And I think that, that was really I good. suppose the game is one of those films that by definition is often forgotten in in sort of the heyday of of Seven and Prestige and Press Network. But I absolutely adore it. I think more people should see it. Secondly, okay. um, I'm following on from the writer, because the writer of uh, the network is Aaron Sorkin, who infamously wrote um, West Wing. He wrote that sort of um, Studio 60 and Sunset Strip. He wrote uh, those kind of things. And this is a film by him called The American President from 1993, which sensibly is a rom-com about the president who starts dating Annette, Annette Benning. It is funny it is sweet but it's also about truth and portrayal of what is true and how perception is everything versus what is real and it basically stars almost everybody from the west wing before they're in the west wing and i just think right. it's a great film that often everyone forgets exists and i wanted to put it in as a recommendation based on the, on the writer because i think that the strength of writing that he brings which can be hit and miss if you watch some of his stuff is on top form here and in the Brilliant. So Sam, next week. Yes. Uh, next week. Um, next week, I would like to watch the film Girl Interrupted. Oh. Following on from a film based on a truth, maybe this is a film based on a book. Um, and whether it's whether it's true or not is open to debate. Um, but it's an interesting one to think about. I think in terms of um, film films based on on other sources. So that's the one for next week. Oddly enough, I own that on VHS. I have owned it on VHS since it came out on VHS, and I've never watched it. Well, let's watch it. Now. I have it on DVD as well, so I watch that. Yes, excellent. Okay. Well, guys, if you want to find us online, you can come find us on Twitter. We are at Prestige Podcast. And um, if you want to find just me, I am at Life Underscore Academic, and I am at Rob Kaiju. Thanks, guys, and look forward to 
sharing more films with you next week. Bye. Bye. is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr! Arg.